What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I am your host, Ken Gunter, and we have another awesome show today. Full disclosure, when I was thinking about putting together the podcast, I had a number of guests. I say guests with quotes around them because at that point, no one knew that I was going to start this thing. Uh, today's guest, Nick Littlehales, was one of the folks that I said I need to have on this show. So it happened sooner than I expected, uh, due mostly to his generosity and willingness to, to reach back out to me. But uh, the reason I'm so excited is he is a sleep expert, and he is the founder of Sports Sleep Coach. So We've had some sleep experts on the show already, but what's so interesting is that he specifically works with elite athletes at the highest level all across the world to help improve not only the quality of their sleep, uh, but using their sleep as a means of a recovery. So I know there's a lot of people out there that are thinking like, oh, he works with athletes. This guy handed out a bunch of pillows to a junior college soccer team. No. Okay, I'm talking Cristiano Ronaldo and the rest of the team at Manchester United uh, and numerous other prominent Premier League clubs. He was an instrumental part of uh, British cycling where his sleep performance uh, helped uh, transform the team as part of their famed aggregated marginal gains approach. He's worked with drivers on the Formula One circuit. Uh, speaking again about cycling, he worked with Team Sky, uh, who competes in the Tour de France, and with Nick's help, uh, propelled a British rider to the podium in just three years after the initial formation of the team. And what's amazing is that that's actually two years faster than the ambitious goal that that team had set for itself, and they've gone on to win seven of the last eight editions of the Tour de France. So just complete domination. He's also worked with guys in a lot of major American sports, NFL, NBA, and more. You know, his his track record is stellar. But what I really appreciate is I found out about him through his book, Sleep. And what I was particularly drawn to is he outlines his seven key sleep recovery indicators. But more importantly, he outlines practical steps that you, the listener or reader, can take to begin to sleep better immediately. And, you know, I, I like to bring on people that I know personally because I want to introduce you to people that I personally have seen a tremendous amount of value from. This is one of those folks. Uh, his book has, has certainly helped my sleep. It certainly helped reshape my perspective on sleep and the role it plays not only in athletic recovery, but basically in, in my ability to be a better person, a better father. So this is this is one of my favorite conversations. I, I know that everyone's going to enjoy it. He's going to touch a little bit on his R90 sleep technique that he's developed over the years. Um, and we're going to talk about how you can actually keep in touch with him to, to work with him on your own sleep. So with that, if you're enjoying the show, again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's left us a review and those who have reached out with positive feedback. Really appreciate it. If you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating within Apple. It certainly helps. I'll try not to say that every week, but uh, just want to give a shout out to all the folks who are reaching out. It, we're, we're really grateful for it. And on top of that, make sure to stick around for the Run It By My Wife segment with Sonia, where she makes a big announcement. It's not babies, folks. It's chickens. Uh, so with that, without further ado, let's welcome Nick to the show, and I hope everyone enjoys. Here we go. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time. 
Well, first and foremost, thanks. Thanks for joining the show. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Ken. Yeah. And uh, we, we didn't talk about this before we started, but uh, ironically, I'm coming off a terrible night of sleep. <laughs> okay. My, uh, so to give you a little background, I've got, I've got three kids over here. Uh, one of which is a three month old who coincidentally slept really well last night, but my two year old wandered into our room at like two in the morning. And so I spent the next like two to three hours just trying to get him back to sleep. So I thought like how fitting okay. I'm about to do a, uh, a podcast with a sleep, sleep specialist. And, uh, I'm coming in here groggy and dragging. So for, forgive me if I'm a little slow. <laughs> during any points of this conversation. It sounds like you're coming in like most normal people do every day. <laughs> yeah. Not, and you know what? I, not I as think about as they would like to be. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's, that's one of the topics I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, is don't this have idea. Kids, <laughs> you say don't have kids or you, or you don't have yeah, kids. It's top tip. Yeah. You know? Don't have, <laughs> don't have kids. You know what? I've thought about this a lot. And, uh, for people who, who complain about how busy they are and people are busy, don't get me wrong. And there, there's people who are doing a lot of things with their time. Like until you've had kids, like you actually don't know how busy or stressed or tired you can actually be. Yeah. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and if you have a dog, don't, don't, don't compare it to a kid. Number one, because that'll, that'll cause any parent to want to like jump over the table and <laughs> take a hold of you by the collar. Dogs uh, are amazing amazing yes. polyphasic sleepers you know which yeah. is what's more natural to the human being than sleeping in blocks because they just nap it out when they can they're always alert they're always active they're always this and they just take their moments when the, the moments arise they're amazing hmm. amazing we should learn a lot from dogs so that's interesting so and maybe that's a really good place to start like could, could we just talk about kind of like the the basic principles of of sleep. Um, cause you mentioned dogs are polyphasic sleepers. Um, that is probably not where my mind would have gone as far as like, where should I look to for a good example of like optimum sleep habits? So can we kind of start by talking about, um, you know, in your opinion and the research that you've done, you know, what are kind of like the core principles of sleep that really every person would benefit from just understanding about themselves? Well, you know, I come from a, you know, I'm not only intelligent, but I come from a non-academic background as far as sleep is concerned. I fell yeah. into the sleep industry, loved sport as a teenager, like most teenagers do. Um, yeah. But I fell into the sleep industry, spent a lot of time in it in various different roles. Um, sort of in a bit of a midlife crisis, maybe in my early 40s, just realized that all the things I'd been looking at and working in and from the academic side, the clinical side, and all sorts of that. Basically, the population just takes it for granted. It's not a performance criteria. Hmm. It's a health pillar that's uneducated and lost, and I should go off and do something else. Yeah, I, I fell into the world of sport, um, and over the last two decades, there's been certain things that I've been involved with that uh, allowed me to examine some of that knowledge and uh, maybe just redefine it uh, hmm. for those individuals. So I think the, that turned itself into um, what's called an R90 technique. Um, yeah. It identifies over those two decades what I believe are the, the seven key sleep 
recovery indicated. It's about awareness, education, understanding, interventions, little practical behavioral changes. Mm -hmm. And we've been applying those to any organization or individual. And that's also, um, you know, we were talking before this, uh, you know, some four years ago, 2016, I got asked to write a book about that process. Yeah. Uh, it's in 15 languages around the world now. It's, um, it's still being published. It's, uh, as you know, it's a very simple read, but inside of there with these seven steps. And to answer your question, the key things mm -hmm. are the first three. And the one is, uh, you know, tap circadian rhythms in your browser. Uh, and yeah. maybe for the first time, just get a relationship with this sun up and sundown process that rolls around our planet. It's completely irrelevant to everything else that goes on the planet, viruses or whatever. <laughs> it goes on every day, it creates circadian rhythms, light, dark, and diminished light changes and temperature. It creates an internal clock, a biological clock, an external clock, an internal clock. Our brains as human beings and all our bodily functions are completely connected to this process. And, you know, over the generations of us being on this planet, we've continued to move further and further away from it. So there's a kind right. of a desynchronized generation going on. Uh, and that principally, when you boil it down, is just your exposure to light. Hmm. Uh, and what type of light? The, the second one uh, is we have a natural genetic twist, a sleep characteristic called a chronotype. Uh, whether you're a morning person, owl or lark, an AM or a PM, as we refer to them, and, and that little genetic twist is all about this relationship with the sun going around our planet and those circadian rhythms. And it's about how quickly you will produce a hormone called serotonin mm -hmm. in the pineal gland in your brain, which tells the brain to unsuppress everything and make you active. And there's a little phase delay. So some of us, if we're night timers, the start of our day is not the same as a morning chronotype. And that's simply about the production of this hormone serotonin. So light plays a big trigger to that. The third one is, you know, up until electric light came into our world, um, you just tap that in your browser and you'll see that human beings slept in a polyphasic manner. There was four major hmm. sleep-wake cycles, you know, biphasic, triphasic, multiphasic, crazy phasic. Um, and it was only when electric light came on that we started to adjust the the third phase of our 24 hours between sort of like 6 uh, p.m. in the evening into 12 o'clock at night. And we started to change that particular phase to be more active. Yeah. And we started just sleeping nocturnally in a monophasic block. And that's where get your eight hours. So wake up in the morning when there's only eight hours left before you got to do it again. Yeah. Get your eight hours. And Maybe that particular shift from electric lights, um, we've been getting away with it um, because we've not been looking at it like the other two health pillars, you know, ex exercise, nutrition, hydration. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I think the shift over the last two decades, uh, driven by technology and various other things, uh, is really examining our ability to just sleep in one block. Yeah. So, We've been using that process, those first three things, quite specifically to, 
to educate an individual of the power of being synchronized to that process that doesn't change, hmm. to understanding what it does to you, to be able to sort of manage their everyday relative to their chronotype, and to use the polyphasic approach just to deal with the ever-increasing non-human multi-schedules of this crazy, let's bust every day, every minute out of it type yep. of world we live in. Yeah, and you said something there too, actually at the beginning of the podcast when you said, the fact that I'm coming in a little sleep deprived, I'm just like everyone else. It's almost like we're getting away with it. Um, and I think there's a number of like health indicators that show that in actuality, we're not getting away with the lack of sleep, but um, it, it exposes itself less because it seems like kind of as a culture, at least in Western culture, like by and large, we're all in some respects sleep deprived, right? So relatively comparatively, it's maybe not standing out as much. Yeah, we're I mean, all kind of functioning research, on, at the yeah. same level. Yeah, a lot of the research you ever see is, is maybe thirty or forty percent of the population in any particular part of the world uh, suffers from sleep deprivation or something. Well, right. I haven't met anybody who gets eight hours a night in a solid block three six five. Yeah, I haven't met anybody who's got occupations that really allow that in any consistent period, like you running into your kids and. You know, you've got three kids mm. that make a number of years, if not many, many years of disruptive patterns. Oh, yeah. um, so it's kind of like, yeah, I think everybody, everybody, 100%, do so, not actually reveal levels of recovery that allows them to have a consistent personal best more often than not. Mm. Um I think we have been, you know, taking it for granted. So we kind of, we can, we create a very random approach to it. We worry about it. And so I always remind people that, you know, every generation faces stuff and all that sort of thing, Ken. But, you know, I've been around for nearly 60 years on this planet. <laughs> and really, we should be the healthiest, fittest, most knowledged human population that's ever been on this planet. So why right. every day do I hear about social issues, mental health and well-being, suicide, burnout, uh, type 2 diabetes, you know, all sorts of things that are where we are seeing increases in. And, you know, you have to say it's, it's just our ability as human beings because we've got a... Uh, no education, nothing mm -hmm. gets passed on from parents, kids don't get educated to all these basic principles. And it, it's, you know, I tested it with, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, if you try and tell somebody to, to stop worrying about something or chill out and, and trying to coach them, you, you don't tell them what to do. You take them on a journey where they end up there. And we just took them all camping, you know, into the mountains, into the woods. Yeah, okay. And all that happened very quickly is uh, there's just a little bit of polyurethane and a zip between us and the outside world, a.k.a. a tent. There's <laughs> a little bit of foam or something blown up on the floor for us to sleep on. Yep. And very, very quickly, even with connectivity, um, we start to wake up naturally. We eat outside, even if it's under a canopy because it's raining, but we're outside. Yeah. We take advantage of the first part of the day to midday, and then we take a break, fuel up, hydrate, have a little break. Then we take advantage of the second half of the day, and the light disappears. We stop. 
we're in melatonin land now. We build a fire. We have something to eat. We entertain each other. We fall asleep. And we go again. So visualization, circadian rhythms, synchronized chronotypes. Suddenly, a very short space of time, we're all like smiling and we're happy. We put things in context. We don't Mm. react to things as as strongly as we should. We seem to be more productive. Uh, We seem to be not wasting our time. We seem to get things done. And you just go, how far away are you right now from that process yeah and yeah it it may not relate to everybody you know if you don't like going camping you don't like being outside you love living in the city but the reality is you know your brain and bodily functions is called ken my brain and bodily functions is called nick uh, but our brain and bodily functions are completely synchronized to this this planet and that process and that's one of the biggest realizations as to, you know, you can actually do more by doing less at the right yeah. time in the right place. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just thinking through, I lived in New York for five or six years um, and I loved it. And it's a lot of fun, especially when you're younger. But I mean, you're basically hemmed off from anything that is kind of that natural connection with, with the with the planet that you're referring to, right? Unless you make like a a concentrated effort to go to Central Park every day. I mean, well, you're, the isolated you're, you're, New Yorker, is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. I mean, you're boxed in. You're Where surrounded by artificial light. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and yeah, and one thing that I've kind of found in my own life is that. Uh, and we can talk about this too, you know, lack of sleep is compounding, but like stress is compounding, you know, and it's just, if you, if you never get a reprieve from kind of this constant always on, um, it just snowballs. And unfortunately what I found is it'll snowball to the point where it then affects my sleep, which is the one thing that could probably actually really help me recover from some of those, uh, you know, physical and mental stressors that I'm dealing with. Well, we, you asked me a question before the podcast, you know, what, what wouldn't we like to talk about? Because I'm, I'm yeah. going to raise it. And uh, we have a pandemic going on at the moment. And, mm. and the one thing that, you know, you see plastered everywhere is, is that this whole process of helping your brain throughout your day, because you're not in control of your sleep when you're in a sleep state, your brain is in control. So... Mm. You have to remember it's everything you do from the point of wake and throughout your day and how you're synchronized to this process and everything you're doing that enables when you do enter a sleep state for any period of time, your brain can reveal what you want because you're not in control of it now. Mm. And part of that process being in that sleep state is rolling through various stages in nice rhythms and patterns and cycles, uh, as you what we all should know about And part of that is a lot about rejuvenation and renovating and helping things. And certain stages of those, certain sleep stages are deemed to be more beneficial in that area, particularly the deeper sleep stages, REM and non-REM. All Mm -hmm. the stages are of benefit. But one of the things that's going on there is your ability uh, to keep your immune system at its highest level. Right. And... You know, suddenly when things like this happen, uh, suddenly that research and that knowledge sort of comes to the fore because it's sort of saying if you're 
if you're not sleeping well, then your immune system will be lower and you're more likely. But we should have been talking about that way before viruses, you know? It's about your resilience. So sleeping or redefining your recovery approach as a human being really does protect yourself. And we look at, if you redefine your approach, I mean, you've read my book and you've made some changes, Ken. I know you've told me, so I'm not putting words in your mouth. No, if, no, no. You, yeah. if you redefine your approach and maybe take the emphasis away from this world called sleep, because it immediately somebody's mindset goes, oh, that's what I do at night. It's a complete waste of time. I don't really right. get much benefits out of it. Can I look at something else? You know? Um, so it's about mental and physical recovery. It's about human recovery performance. It's about cycles. It's about... These sort of things, putting these things together. And then what happens is, is rather than thinking about, am I improving my sleep quality? What you're doing is creating a more resilient human being. Oh, that's interesting. Right? And, and a more resilient human being means that when I'm visualizing something in front of me, whether it's, it's, it's words, it's verbal, or, it's, or it, it's, I'm looking at things. It's the way those things get processed is all about where my brain and bodily functions and certain hormones are at a particular time. And Hmm. I try to, you know, I'm a bit of a maverick in this world, Ken, so excuse me, but you know, when you're working with all (laughs) sort of different types of athletes at different levels of education or knowledge or parenting, you know, you've got to find a language. You've got to find a way to redefine it for them. And sometimes I just say to them, look, if we spent all our time outside today, then it's currently, you know, half past two, 14.35 in the UK. And that's where the sun is part of this natural process. It doesn't follow a clock. It's just rolling around and creating this exposure to light. Now, if it's 14.35 outside, it should be 14.35 in my main Uh, body clock in my brain right it should be 1435 in every little uh, cell in my body because they're all clocks so if you think about everything in your body is is a clock and your Hmm. brain is the main one so if it's 1435 up there the reason it's 1435 up there is because it's because that's the point in time that we've put a clock on the sun going around our planet. We gave it a 24-hour, well, it's actually a little bit more, but it's a 24-hour clock we put on it. So as it mm-hmm. rises, we put a clock on it, so, and then it goes around and it comes back. So we put a clock on it so we can, mani- so we can measure its progress. But mm-hmm. So if it's 12.35 outside, it should be 12. If it's 2.35 outside, it should be 2.35 in my brain and 2.35 everywhere. So if I look at something then everything's being processed in a manner of balance. However, if because of 24-7 and scheduling and changing behaviors and all this sort of stuff and everything that we do, that we're not synchronized with that process, then it might be 2.35 outside because the sun's taking no notice of us. But in in my main body clock in my brain, it could be, you know, I don't know, 6 o'clock at night. Hmm. It could be two o'clock in the morning. 
in every cell of my body, it could be three o'clock, half past three, two o'clock. I don't know, whatever. So I think one of the aspects of, of why we're looking at this more significantly than we ever have before is that whilst we adopt a very proactive approach to health and well-being, what we eat, what we do, health and exercise, Mm-hmm. That's fine. But actually, because we're so desynchronized, that these things are not being processed in the manner that we think they are. So there are always demographics of, of people who are absolutely smashing it and achieving all sorts of wonderful things. But there is also that other area where the consequences of this, we've got an ever-increasing addictive behavior. And mm. that doesn't mean hard drugs. It doesn't necessarily, but we are adapting our behavior to combat or try to cope with a constant level of sleep deprivation, fatigue, mental and physical mm-hmm. recovery. That yeah. it's now reached a point where we certainly need to change our behavior right, around yeah. this particular area. And you, you will know from your, you know, you, you are still an athlete and you're still there, but you know that principally a lot of my clients just go, Nick, can you just not get this sleep thing done in like 20 minutes a day? Uh, <laughs> it's just a waste of time, man. It's a, ex- exactly. I'm just lying there doing nothing. I'm not in control of it. I don't really, you know, sometimes I feel great. Sometimes I try and do eight hours, 10 hours, nine hours, because sleep's really important. But, you know, can't we just smash it in 20 minutes or even less? I said, well, you know, if you actually adopt this approach, uh, you will feel as though you're actually sleeping less. Hmm. But you're not. You know, you're actually moving through every 24 hours in a, a really balanced way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great technique. And, it, and it, I think the wonderful thing about it, you know, shouting my rooftops is that I don't know about you, but when, when I got to the end of writing my book, I just thought I could just crack on with this right now without any sort of investment whatsoever. Yes. Yeah. And that's something that I, I really appreciate. One is, is how applicable, uh, I assume the book was intended to be right. It, it took Kevin away. It was I written think, by me. It was never going to be complicated. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Um, but no, I, and I, I, I mean that. And, and for people listening, I can, I can certainly, uh, confirm that, you know, after reading and as I was reading, as I got through, you know, separate chapters, I was like, Oh, let me try and implement that tonight. Or let me change my thinking around how I approach this. Or and you even thought I already knew that. That's a good point too. Yeah. It's cause a lot of this stuff. So that's one thing that I'm learning. Cause I've, I've been really fortunate so far in this podcast to talk to a lot of either experts or people who are helping elite athletes do incredible things. And more often than not, the answers are not complex. It's often validating what should have been intuitive and just kind of embracing that consistently over time. There you go. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and and one, of the, one of the things that you said, and you said it multiple times now, but I, I really want to, I think it's important for people to have this driven home is it, it, there almost needs to be a shift in the way that you think about the role sleep plays, right? It's, it's, it's not dead time, right? It, it truly is recovery. And while, you know, I brought you on because 
the work you're doing with, you know, elite athletes is just, it's incredibly interesting, but to your point, that recovery is, is instrumental in everything from your immune system to your metabolism, to all these other areas of your life. Um, and it, it really should be treated as a, a critical. And I, I guess, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, like, you know, one third of that, the, the kind of core principles of your approach to getting fit, right? If you're working out, you're eating right, like sleep is that third piece that that's the recovery that you need to take just as seriously. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, because, you know, I've got experience of it personally myself. I've, I've got an extended family. I've got five grandchildren now and probably more to come. And they've, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> the word granddad, you know, hearing it every day makes you feel like, wow, my, <laughs> my life is about to end. Because um, <laughs> I stopped being called Nick anymore or dad is now granddad. Granddad. Um, oh, yeah. Granddad. Wow. Granddad. Wow. But anyway, <laughs> no, I think it's, um, you know, I've always been fascinated by it. I don't know why my, my, my father, who died quite young, uh, well, died when I was quite young, when I was 17, uh, mm. was an engineer. Uh, he helped develop uh, something called petrol injection. Uh, he was an innovator. He made cars mm. go faster and shoved petrol into pistons quicker and all that sort of stuff and ended up with Formula One and everything else. So I suppose, you know, within oh, wow. my DNA somewhere, I'm a, a bit of a re-engineer, a bit of a inventor, a bit of a redefiner, I don't know. Mm. I'd like to think that's what my father left behind. But I think it's just one of those things. I cannot understand why this has been so ignored. Um, yeah. I think it's great that we're looking at it now, but there's such a lot going on out there, Ken. You know, when you ever open up a health pillar like this, you know, there's a trillion-dollar black hole there, and everybody, you know, like I said, like maybe 100% of everybody is, is, is without that education is just struggling through. Mm -hmm. And there is an opportunity for people to make money out of that. And yeah. So suddenly you've got eye masks and earplugs, you've got supplements, you've got melatonin supplements. You can mm. access most of the stuff you should have medically prescribed, like sleeping tablets, caffeine supplements, you've got trackers, you've got apps, you've got all sorts of stuff going on. And, and if, if the population was educated in the first place, a lot of these things would never enter your life. Hmm. Because it's such a natural process. And, and so you just see people diving in. To, I mean, the first point of call for most people when they really struggle to sleep is to they sort of go, what's your top tip, Nick? Can I right. do it now and sort it? And I go, no, you can't just do that and stop that. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's not like a big subject. You don't have to be worried about it. But, you know. Like you said, you sort of read through the book and it just goes, actually, that's what I do anyway. Or I kind of knew that anyway. Or, or mm. yes, I am a nighttime chronotype. I've always thought that, but I've never done anything about it. But maybe right. I will now. Um, you've got kids. So suddenly you start going, oh, look, that one 
is a nighttime chronosite. That one is a morning chronosite. Hmm. That's an amazing first step, isn't it? Because how you manage your children into the world is going to be significantly different. Can I use the word significantly different? To the way that your parents brought you into the world. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that's true. I mean, you would, you would hope that's true as well. Right. Because like, uh, as you said, we, at this stage of humanity, I mean, we should be the healthiest, the most educated, um, you know, so it, it's like, I almost feel like it's incumbent upon the parent to kind of like try and absorb as much as they can to try and create a better you know environment for your kid to grow up in. And that's not to take anything away from the previous generation, but I think the hope for each parent or each generation is that the generation that comes after, you know, has improved upon what they've already done. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, mean, I would say everybody I hope says, you know, we're in a big social experiment. Well, we certainly are now if we weren't before. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're right smack dab <laughs> so in the middle when of it, We're in moment. one social experiment of learning how to deal with technology and social media and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and now we're in another one. Um, yep. So amazing times for Generation X, the millennials, mm. whatever you want to call them. Um, but it is, you know, for, for for that older generation, it is for them to sort of, you know, stand up and uh, use that knowledge and experience and maybe challenge a few things to help them, mm-hmm. you know, because rather than fight them or, you know, shut your tech down. Blue light is bad for you, says Ken to his children. <laughs> and I say to Ken, when did you first learn how bad blue light was for you? Because it's in the sun, it starts our day, it's part of our circadian rhythm. That yeah. blue energy light as part of that spectrum of the sun triggers serotonin in your brain that unsuppresses everything creates your mood, your alertness, your decision-making, everything about you, it starts your day. Yeah. Why are you telling your kids that blue light is bad for you? Right. Is, is it more than about redefining, you know, when blue light can be harmful? Yeah. So if you, you know, with all this knowledge you've got, it's like whether you like camping or not, you're a New Yorker, so maybe you don't, I don't know. But <laughs> you just go, kids, we're going camping. Yep. And while you're out camping, along that whole process like we talked about before, you're just making little good parental messages. Hmm. We've all woken up happy today. That's because the sun and that blue light is creating this serotonin, kids, and it's making us – it's like plugging your phone in and getting it recharged. All right, Mm. Dad. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not going to go off on this big walk without charging up our iPads and our phones, are we? Because we need the GPS to find the bloody trees. Excuse my (laughs) friend. So – but it kind of puts it in context, and – Everything gets put in context and you're able to educate them. You're able to learn along that process. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. And that's well, and so actually to transition a little bit, because here's something as we as a society, I think, need to start kind of uh, taking stock of just how important sleep is. It, it sounds like maybe and you can tell me if this is a incorrect assumption or not, but the professional sports world kind of has been more receptive to this 
earlier on. Um, can, can you talk about a little bit of the work that you've been doing with a lot of these elite sports organizations and elite athletes and kind of like what exactly it is they're bringing you, you and your team in to do? Um, it's, you know, over the last two decades, Ken, there's, you know, we've been working with individual organizations, uh, individuals along that route, but we're not really touching a big percentage of the sporting oh, population. There are just certain groups or organizations at certain points along this particular journey that uh, do actually realize that this era is is important. Mm-hmm. But it's a big jump from taking it for granted, not a performance criteria, to suddenly starting to, to go on that journey that it might be, or it could be, or it is. And yeah. so... Inevitably, there are. It's it's generally these days uh, created by the problems that they're experiencing. So uh. they are ever increasing schedules. They are mm-hmm. not taking notice of the impact on the human being. Hmm. And it's invariably when they hit a particular crisis situation is when they suddenly pick up the phone. So reactive more than... Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit like that, I have to say. So there are... Like like most things, to be fair. Yeah, like most. But in some respects, you know, when I started working with British Cycling and Team Sky over here in the UK and and things like the Tour de France, uh, a big global sport um and a very intimidating sport um things Mm. like a grand tour like the tour de france or giro d'italia or the welter um is it was it was more about it wasn't about the problems it was about performance Mm. and that was uh as many people probably are aware but maybe not uh, the strategy that they applied at that particular time was the aggregation of marginal gains. And that oh, meant, I'm, so, I, I'm so interested in this. Yeah. yeah and I, I, that might've actually been one of the ways I found out about you, but uh, yeah, yeah. And if, if you, if you were going to already, but if you wouldn't mind, just give people maybe a, a quick explanation of what that is. Cause I, I think best. it's so fascinating. I think at, the, yeah. <laughs> at the time they, they had a, you know, they had a strategy, they had a, a goal, they had a trigger, which was to put a British rider on the Tour de France podium within five years. Um, within that, there was the uh, track cycling, male and female, and also Paralympic uh, track cyclists. Mm-hmm. And the strategy sort of was born out of, let's collectively get all the best people we can on the planet. Uh, we need to cover every single aspect because... The bike itself, uh, we can have the most engineered bike possible, but so can yeah. every other competitor. Uh, we can have, you know, the clothing, the helmet, uh, you know, all that equipment side, but everybody else can do the same. So what's right. going to be the difference? And that would be the engine on the bike, a.k.a. the human. Mm-hmm. And if we can make that engine more resilient than maybe at certain times, particularly through those events, we'll be able to, you know, come to the top when it matters. 
Sure. So as they went through everything, uh, they came across sleep. You can't ignore that because, you know, 30% of every bit of your day, if you want to look at it like that. So the clinical side of sleep are already concentrating on sleep disorders. Well, that's not any use to us because none of us have got any sleep disorders in that sense. Mm -hmm. So we need somebody who's going to apply something that we can all practically achieve. So that's where the R90 technique was umbrellaed. Um, so we looked at these seven areas with each individually and a group. Uh, we looked at the event itself, and we looked to change every approach that we did along that route, and eventually it became successful. But it was, it was literally that if that particular rider um, was brought up in a city with a particular circadian rhythm, Mm-hmm. with a particular internal body clock, with a particular set of circumstances around them, you know, little cultural things like smells, the foods they ate, the timings, you know, whether that rider was from Spain or whether mm. that rider was from Italy, you know, because there was British cycling, but there's also Team Sky, which was not British. It was a team. Right, right, right. And so you look at those things, you bring them all together and go, well, okay, so this is how we need to wander through this whole process so we started profiling each individual uh, which is very commonplace in sport but we found out all these little things that sort of meant something to that person and not to others we looked at Mm -hmm. their environments that they were brought up in and where they used to sleep and what they used to sleep on we looked at all of those things and we started to you know correlate those things and put them into some perspective and we started on a couple of early tours um where Giro Sally and Vivalta where we tried things mm-hmm. um in sport everybody loves to measure of course they do <laughs> yeah of we course, have to yeah. measure things but when yeah. we went on this process we just realized that in this particular area measuring it was intrusive it created mm. counterproductive side effects the fact that this, there were so many variables going on that we just needed a set of protocols that managed recovery and revealed the best it possibly could. But don't try and measure it. Don't try and analyze it because that creates another level of scrutiny and anxiety. Yeah. So yeah. don't laugh, Kent, but even inside a peloton, for anybody who's listening who knows about cycling, Inside a peloton, there are certain cyclists having a nap. What, what do you mean, having a nap? Well, they're being dragged along by the peloton. They've come off the front. <laughs> they're yeah. inside the peloton. They're being protected. The wheels are going around. They're expressing less energy. They're actually in a recovery period because the, the, every other cyclist around them is protecting them as a team. And... You're kidding me. Well, it is. If anybody knows about cycling, that's what it is. When you drop back into the peloton, it's almost like you're not turning the the wheels around because the peloton's turning your wheels around. So when you start to look at these things, it's like, right, I'm going to take some recovery pills. We've got 200K to do today. Right. Right? And you can't do that all at the front because you're buffering the wind. It's far more energy. So you have certain team members who go up there and take take the hit 
for the team. <laughs> but the person at the back is going to reveal their talent when it matters. Right? <laughs> and so there's all these little facts. And, and we even went, but I think the thing about the, uh, you know, I was on the periphery, but inside of it. But the, the thing that just made a, a massive difference to all of these things is just some of the little practical things. So yeah, one of the things we talked about one day was we're sleeping in for three weeks, different hotels, different environments, different mattresses, different pillows. Mm-hmm. There's other people using these environments, which we don't even know about. We don't know what they're bringing into this room, you know, a.k.a. COVID-19. It's about <laughs> what's, what's in this room? Who was in here last night? Whatever. Yeah. We're taking elite athletes to do a massive event for three weeks. Serious physical and mental, uh, you know, crazy. Yeah. And so we just went, look, this is what they do at home. Let's check it out. Light, dark, and temperature. What are they sleeping on? We need to, them to be in the right sleeping position, fetal on the opposite side to their dominant side. We want them to be in complete comfort. We want good postural balance. We yeah. also want to know what is the washing powder they're using. Hmm. Because hmm. that's a familiarization thing about smells. Have they got kids? Have oh, they got that? We jumbled all those things in. And so in the end, we would have a, a sleep kit that would go with the individual athlete, would go into each hotel, and we'd ignore what's in there. Yeah. We would just roll out their sleep kit with the right smells, improve the air, wipe all the surfaces down. You know, when I reflect, when you've asked me just to reflect on that particular thing, which I hadn't planned today, like most things, <laughs> it's almost like where I am now. You know, when I woke up and went to my office, I'm wiping the handles, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm washing my hands. You know, back then it was all about that. It was about how to wash your hands. Right. Because you might pick up a virus that's been left in a room week one by somebody else you don't even know about in that hotel room. Mm-hmm. And by week three, it's now kicking in. So yeah. you can't make the final stages of the Tour de France. So it was, you know, when you talk about aggregation of marginal gains, I have to say it became really intensive because Mm. once you start that process, then you start to think about everything. Yeah. I mean, everything. I mean, we're talking about would our bottoms be a little bit cleaner if we use three-ply tissue paper or two-ply tissue paper? (laughs) <laughs> okay. So Would you guys be went... cleaner if we wiped forwards or backwards twice or three? So suddenly you become totally obsessed by there is a gain, mm-hmm. whether it's point this or a 1%. There is a gain everywhere, everywhere right. for us. Well, and the, the team had tremendous success, right? Not to give the story away, but is it, is it safe to say that, you know, British cycling at that point was average at best? Non-existent. Right? Non-existent. Okay. And then, I mean, I, I think the, the whole reason that this story has been so fascinating is um, they accomplished their goal, right? Yeah, yeah. 
But not it's, only not only with um, putting uh, what now Sir Bradley Wiggins on the Tour de France podium. I mean, Chris Froome, part of Team Sky and now Team Ineos, has been doing it for fun since. Hmm. You know, so the first one was a challenge, yeah. but now they know. So they just flick Chris Froome up there for fun. Garen Thomas, you know, another part of the team. So, you know, so everybody turns around and goes, they must be on drugs. They yeah, can't keep doing course. this. It must be on drugs. But, it, you know, I won't even go into that particular area because it's, it's – but I think it just proved that there was one area of this aggregation of marginal gains they had the best coaches on the planet. They had the best sports science, their best data collection. They had the best equipment. They had, the, they had, you know, suits made by bespoke scientists to mm. create aerodynamics, helmets, this and everything else. But the one thing that had never entered into this world before was sleep. And it, it, it sounds so silly it, because I mean, and I understand how it happens. Like I neglected it in my own life. So I have firsthand experience at overlooking it. But I mean, quite literally, it, it should take up roughly, you know, somewhere around a third of your day. And it's just, it, it, for whatever reason, we all overlook it. Even people who are looking for advantages wherever they can find them. Right? So it's just, it, it's, it's such an... It's only because it's just, it's something that you're not in control of. You, you know, when you go to sleep... Um, your brain takes over. So, you know, in our psyche is, you know, if I want to go faster or jump higher or, or, you know, get the ball between the posts better or come on as a mm-hmm. kicker or I'm a quarterback or I'm a basketball player, NBA, NHL, rower, poker player, esporter, whatever you are, is the difference between a great amateur professional a professional, a top-flight elite athlete or player, mm-hmm. and then there is the je ne sais quoi, and that <laughs> is the person. And you can count these people on your hand, basically, in life. They're just able to go to another level. Yeah. So we don't know how much sleep Usain Bolt has had over his career. We've never tracked it. We don't know how much REM sleep he got, whether he slept at all, how many hours he got, how much light sleep he got. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. So now we're just in that particular point is that can we create some data, some knowledge that allows us to understand how humans perform at their best? Yeah. And the one thing that has never been looked at is this subject of sleep. So I think Mm. everybody should make it the first pillar, not the third one, and being ignored. Because if I start my day really well because of this knowledge, circadian rhythms, chronotype, light, get the exposure up. I'll give you a little thing you can do in a minute, Ken, which will make you laugh. Okay. Uh, And everybody else can. Um, good, 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 good. Is, uh, is suddenly, I seem to have the time to 
buy food and cook it from scratch instead of just grabbing something. I seem to be hmm. have a little bit more time to go, yeah, I don't need to do that. I can do this. I, I seem hmm. to, you know, something happens that's quite serious and I just go, yeah, yada, yada. So once you put recovery in that perspective, your productivity and your ability to perform at much higher levels more consistently and more sustainably reveals themselves really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that's, you know, whether you're a professional footballer in the Premier League or you're just trying to show up as the best parent you could be or the best part, you know, like everyone could benefit from trying to put your best version of yourself forward. Um, okay. So you said you had a tip. I'll, I'll take any and all tips. <laughs> well, just to segue into this, we had, um, it's part of your world as well. We had, um, an NFL player was born on the West coast, East coast plays on the West coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots, you know, you have a lot of, issues like that about a lot of traveling particularly in hockey nhl and stuff like that and nba oh it's crazy what they put those guys through. crazy what they do right and it's all about money first of all which i get but those schedules that they put some of these guys through when i when i see them document the road trips and the time zones they jump through i'm like how does an average person how does an elite athlete deal with that and still perform at a high level well i'm sure you could we could do another podcast about that one, couldn't we? Because of yeah. your own personal experience. But it is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's non-human. Yeah. Uh, and it's certainly not getting better. So it was just that uh, one particular player um, was experiencing lots of problems. And you know, along the whole route of investigating all of this, this, this sort of outcome was it, is they were simply born on the East Coast and played in the West Coast. Hmm. And their natural circadian rhythm, their natural body clock and everything else was set by their formative years of where they were brought up. And then you shift them to another circadian rhythm, another time zone for the sake of argument. Yeah. And they're always fighting that, but they don't realize it, and neither does everybody else. So there's one little thing to think about. You know, you said earlier on, you know, New Yorker, get a bit isolated, you know, Central Park and all that sort of stuff. Well, when you look right. at humans on this planet, again, there's no point telling some, you know, Ethiopian marathon runners about getting your bedroom at 16 to 18 degrees. <laughs> you know, right. because, you know, there's North and South Hemisphere. What about Finland? What about Iceland? What about this? What about that? There's humans all over the place, you know, sleeping in different environments. We can sleep anywhere, anytime on anything. We, mm. we get too focused on, we've got to have some specific solution to this, but it's not, it's extremely natural. So um, as soon as I started hearing, you know, coaches and stuff or parents going, you know, shut your tech down, blue light's bad for you. It'll keep you awake all night because it creates serotonin. Da, da, da. And just, ah, ah, whoa, 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 We haven't even started to educate these people on how mm-hmm. brilliant 
blue light is. So it's about under and over exposure. It's about learning about these things so you can really manage it because it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, it's, hmm. it, it's such a trigger to everything that we do. So to stop that process, I just said to a bunch of athletes, just download this app onto your phone right now. It's called a free light meter. It's called a free Luxmite. I don't even want you to pay for it. Hmm. And just download it onto your device. Now you've got a little dial, and it's just using the camera on your phone. So let's, okay. not, let's not get any science into this yet. Let's just see it. Right, so now we've got a little dial, and it says 110 Lux. What's Lux? Well, let's just... Don't get to lux is the way you measure light, you know, how strong it is, not dangerous, just you know, it's a bit like okay. whether you're getting enough voltage out the plug socket to charge your phone up. Got it. Right. It's like wattage, it's like voltage, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. So we're standing here and it says 110 lux. Let's move one meter back, and now it moves to 90 lux. Let's move one meter to the left as if we're dancing, and it says 10 lux. Let's bend down. Let's move near our computer. Let's move near this. Let's, let's move near this light. Now let's move to the window. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, it's gone up to 3,000 lux. Let's just step outside. Oh, my God, it's 80,000 lux. Okay. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? Nothing. Is it relevant? Well... Outside, that sun, in two phases, three phases of the day, is hitting you with 800,000 lux. And inside of there, there's that little blue energy light. Yeah. And it's creating this lovely balance between when you produce melatonin, which chills you out, makes you suppress, puts things in context, and then you've got this serotonin that makes you active and intense. Hmm. Right. So let's just check... Today, you woke up in the morning, your curtains are shut, blackout blinds, heard about that, haven't you? Yeah, blackout blind, I've got those in it, yeah. Fancy mattress, da, da, da. What was the light in your bedroom when you woke up? Six looks. Okay. If you woke up outside in that tent, as we talked about, it would be 100,000 looks. Wow. Okay. Let's move to the kitchen. Let's move to the gym. Let's move to the office. Let's move to the lounge. Let's move over here. Let's get on a tube. Let's get on a train. Let's get on a plane. Let's wander around the house and just sit. And suddenly, the perspective of is that my opinion, mm -hmm. Ken, and it's my opinion, is that we're living in a melatonin-diminished world. Hmm. We are not being exposed, whether it's inside or outside. We always know when we, you know, we look at property, we look at office spaces, bring the outside in. Right. We love those places, those spas, those retreats. I mean, last year I was doing something with uh, Hugh Boss and uh, with Gunnar Peterson, uh, the celebrity personal trainer out in L.A., mm -hmm. And we're doing some podcasts and stuff, and he's the strength and conditioning coach for the Lakers, and there's a whole story there. But it was just like we were at this retreat in, in Portugal, and 
everything is about bringing the outside in. It's like when you're inside, you feel like you're outside. Right. And it's like wonderful. And I think that whole concept of this light exposure is even in CrossFit gyms, even in gyms, all these artificial lights that we think we're in a really bright lit world, but it's nowhere near as much as it is outside. And if you spend, you know, whenever you spend time inside, even in brightly lit rooms and environments, and you just step outside after a few hours and suddenly it classifies like the fresh air, but suddenly you just go, oh, wow, as if you've been released. <laughs> yeah. You're laughing now, Ken. I it am, is, well, because I take – so – I, I moved from New York and I now live on an old farm, but uh, no, like with this, everything that's going on, we won't talk about COVID-19, but uh, you know, we're, we're making a huge point to like get out of the house, get our kids running around, play some soccer, do, you know? And honestly, I've had that feeling. I mean, multiple times in the last few days where we finally get outside and it's just like, Oh, <laughs> this, this is so nice. I guess is what, what usually goes through my head, but yeah, I, I but know that not, exact feeling. You can, feeling so nice is what we have to understand is how our brains are reacting to the change. Hmm. And there's some science going on at the moment that, that said it can be as quick as a few minutes. Yeah. Now I, I don't know, you know, whether this is something we should be quoting or, but, Whenever any piece of research comes about sleep, there's always this caveat at the bottom. We're still learning about it. So I kind of think that I just feed off things like that. Mm -hmm. Because if me and Ken spend all our day inside an environment and it's brightly lit, a gem, whatever, and we're just looking at this light meter and going, you know, Ken, for all this morning, we've only been on an average exposed to like 190 lux. Yeah. Now, that is just melatonin land. Now, if we just step outside, Ken, and Ken goes, oh, that feels better. And Nick goes, wow, that feels, is it the fresh air? Is it because we're outside? Or is it because suddenly 100,000 lux has ripped into our pineal glands and gone, happy serotonin? Hmm. I don't know. But it feels like that, Ken, doesn't it? Yeah. No, you're right. And it, again, goes back to what we were saying. Like a lot of these things that I'm hearing, it's it's almost like you're waiting for the science to catch up and like validate what, what's kind of intuitive, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> I'll give you another one not to laugh at if you've got time. Oh, please, please. Um, like I said, you know, not every organization or athlete or player they're all at different levels so you know we've been trying to redefine it so instead of thinking about eight hours a night we think let's talk cycles mm -hmm. four cycles five cycles a day that sounds a bit more cute it sounds a bit more emoji text orientated the way people communicate today hmm. instead of using the word nap we talk crps controlled recovery periods mm -hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> so I'm on a five-cycle routine per day, 35 cycles a week. And they come in different ways and everything else. And I grab all my little CRPs and do distracted breaks. Fun. Cool. Cool. Language is changing. And 
then we end up in that little place where you try to define what on earth sleep is all about for them. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get to that particular point, people start to stop worrying about it. And when they stop worrying, they suddenly realize there's a lot more they can do. They can be far more proactive in every single way of their lives. Mm -hmm. But they can also try and find out just how much sleep they actually need and mm -hmm. when do they need it and why do they need it and how they can cope with things better. And I would like to think that the position we're in at the moment, um, there's a lot of really negative consequences that we should all pay due respect to. Hmm. But there's also some positivity here that just may be this is the trigger to use sleeping, to redefine it, yeah. to change our approach to it, to help lots of other people around the world, to share that. Because I think right now, this particular subject and what we've been talking about um, is absolutely key. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, and you know, I, I think that's even a, a great place to end. Um, so, so thank you so much for your time. Um, hey, and, and for people who want to know more about you, know more about the work that you do through your company, um, I'm certainly going to link to the book, but uh, is there anywhere that you would encourage people to, that they could follow you or get in contact with you? There certainly is, Ken. I think I uh, lost my drift on the last question you asked. Oh, that's okay. No. Uh, so I'll just quickly put that in. Please understand that uh, human beings are designed to sleep anywhere on anything, in any way, anytime. Look yeah. at the planet. The other thing is, is that human beings are not designed to sleep with other human beings. Uh, you know, yep. there is the <laughs> security, there is the spooning, there is the sex, there is waking up in the morning next to somebody, there is all that human relationship, absolutely fine. But when you go into sleep, say you turn away from any other human. Mm. You create your own little space because that's about you. And don't forget that. So... It's very the dynamics true. of putting so much emphasis on your bedroom and your sleeping products and all of those things is a cul-de-sac. There's so many barriers in there. So whilst everybody is, um, you know, maybe having to work from home, like yourself and nothing else, yep. and you've got kids and all sorts of stuff, and it's a great time just to examine, you know, maybe – if I, if we do all of that sort of stuff, yeah, and we sleep in separate rooms, maybe, or I just sleep on a sofa. I'm not in my bed. It doesn't mean to say my eight hours is going to be wrecked. I'm on the sofa doing my own anti cycles. Uh, maybe just, you know, changing your behaviour hmm. just might mean your whole family's a lot happier. Yeah. So, um, sportsleepcoach.com. We're always providing loads of free content through social media, um, you know, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, okay. whatever it might be. We're posting blogs all the time on our site. We've got a, you know, a set of toolkit services. 
because we know people you know don't invest in this area until they have to buy a bed or need to buy a bed or whatever so you know getting people to get involved in this world is is not easy mm. so we've got lots of little things you know read the book listen to the book yeah um do a little product assessment which is free do a little recovery assessment which is free you can do a little 10 day 10 uh, 10 session course um and just listen to me telling you about these 10 sets and just oh, listen very to cool. um we're going to be doing webinars we're going to be doing podcasts like we're doing now oh perfect um, so I might get you on my podcast to say, what's it like being a parent with three kids? Well, I would, I would love, I'd be honored. And uh, yeah, that's a good conversation. Yeah, to have yes. it's, <laughs> it's completely, completely different and disruptive, but uh, yeah. also, also wonderful at the same time. Yeah. So we, we do all that sort of stuff and uh, you know, we're all involved with a very challenging set of times, but it's all about helping people. So I think, Anybody who's listening to this podcast, probably the podcast with Nick and Ken would be even more beneficial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ken, how do you deal with this shit? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, perfect. So I will, uh, I'll make sure to, I'm going to link to the website um, and uh, I'll link to Instagram and Twitter so that people can follow you there as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, more than anything, th thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks very much, Ken. Then mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> All righty. And it is time for everyone's favorite section where we run it by my wife. Hello, Sonia. Hey, Ken. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I just called you Ken. I never call you Ken. Yeah, it's the second time ever. And now it's recorded. It's yeah. documented. <laughs> uh, yeah, you call me Kenny. Everyone else calls me Ken, but you still call me Kenny, like I'm five. <laughs> so I I loved this episode. And one, I was I just felt like so fortunate that he was willing to come on the show because I absolutely loved his book. Like everything I said about how I read it, have started to implement, like none of that is BS. Like I actually <laughs> have really tried to take a lot of the things in his book and like apply it to our sleep routine. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember when I was reading that book? Yeah, a couple of years ago, right? Or last year? Yeah, I think it was last year. Last year. But I felt like at the time, the things we were doing really did help. At least me. The changes we made. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think we addressed a lot of them on the show. It was simple things like, you know, remove the phone before bed. Get your room <laughs> darker. Get your room colder. Like things that are such easy changes that if you're listening to this, like just do those three things. Yeah, but it, he, he kind of said... Uh, like kind of something contrary to get your room darker. He said mm. more actual daylight is better. Like waking up with the sun is better. Like the camping. Right. That is true. That is true. And that's actually one of the takeaways I had, but no, that's a good point. So yeah. And I, I like that. And it's, you know, if you go outside, right, even if it's two in the morning, there's still light. Like, I don't think at any point our ancestors ever had like a completely pitch black environment, yeah. right? I think the way I think about it, it's that today we live in a world where, you know, unless you're like in <laughs> the Arctic Circle or on some remote island, like we just have so much artificial light Yeah, that that's the issue. Well, a few weeks ago when we had our, we were getting windows replaced in our room and the shades were all down oh, yeah. and 
even in the night, there was so much light coming in from the moon. Yeah, there is a lot of light coming in from, that's very true. When it's a full moon. But I think the other thing too, and like, this is why you can't see the stars. It's like the town, all the street lights throw off so much light. The skyscrapers, our exterior yeah. lighting, you know, that we use for like safety purposes, like all that creates, I think just more light than we historically were exposed to. But to your point, he did mention that it's, it's not that blue light's bad. It's actually like amazing what it can do. Right. I think that's what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's that we need to be spending more time in blue light. Wait, go ahead. Is blue light different than daylight? No, I think it's the same thing. I think that's his point. I think the reason that phones and computer screens get such a bad rap is because they also emit blue light, depending on what setting you have. Mm -hmm. The issue is that the issue is that you're just like, you're shoving all that blue light right in front of your face at a time where your body based on like your circadian rhythm should be like trying to wind down. You're like stopping it from producing melatonin as I understood it. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you remember when we talked to Wendy Troxell? Her other thing though with devices was not just like the war on blue light. She was like, it's, it's the emotional reaction that a lot of that content causes. That's awesome because it gets your wheel spinning. Yeah. When you're supposed to be winding down. Like if it's work, like you get a bad email and you're like, oh God, like tomorrow I got to wake up early. I got this deadline. Or if it's Instagram, mm-hmm. someone's trolling you for your push up form. <laughs> <laughs> no one did, by the way. I was kind of waiting for it, but no one did. <laughs> so that's that. But you and I have very different opinions. On blue light? Yeah. Or do we? We don't have different opinions. I just, I'm feeding a baby all night. And when yeah. I'm breastfeeding him, I need something to keep me awake. So I'm on my phone. Yeah. You're not breastfeeding. So not as often, <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not for lack of trying, <laughs> just give my kids all sorts of complexes. Yeah. And he, he kind of acknowledged that too. You know what I really liked is he's like, look, this is something that should just happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Like all these wearables, all these devices. He's like, we shouldn't need that. You know, like humans were designed to sleep anywhere and in any position. Yeah. You know, so it's like. Except for not with other humans. Except with other humans. Second time we've heard that. Okay. So we were talking about how couples, again, are not meant to sleep together. People are not meant to sleep together. Let's say that. Right. Uh, So, you know, I think. I don't know. We do okay. We have a king size bed and we go on opposite yeah. ends of it when we both go to sleep. We try not to bother each other at night. Yeah, we do all right. I could see, I, I honestly, I could see why though people do separate beds. Yeah. Especially I like if so. you have someone who's a really disruptive sleeper, like neither of us really snore. I wouldn't mind getting twin beds and just putting them a few feet apart. Stop it. <laughs> You're such a liar. Would you? No, I would not like that. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, maybe we just push them together, spread them apart. Yeah, that came out weirder than I wanted. But so, <laughs> uh, but yeah. But apparently, it is a growing trend, which is interesting. Yeah, that's wild. And I, I get it. So yeah. So what are you saying? Blue light. It's actually amazing. It's more about putting in context of like when you're exposing yourself to it. And I work from home, and I feel like I don't. I need to get outside more. Yeah. Even just like little breaks, and just like it makes you feel so refreshed. Just yeah, like walking it does. Outside. It's so easy if you're just like staring at your email all day or you're just answering questions and you just like are constantly in front of a screen and you're never getting outside. You know, you just like start to feel like, ugh. 
Mm-hmm. I need to make like a point to take little breaks. And I think, you know, what he recommends is people need to do that as well or find ways to spend more time outside. Yeah. Okay. Blue light solved people. Questions answered. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. All right. The other big one. And this is kind of why I wanted to have him on the show because I've personally felt this in my own life over the last few years. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast, quite frankly, is when it comes to like performance of really any kind, but especially athletically, he thinks of three kind of core pillars that we need to pay attention to. The first being training. I think a lot of people, you know, they're focusing there. That's not an issue. There's tons of research, a lot of coaching available, nutrition and hydration. I think we've seen a huge upswell in the last decade. People paying attention to that. A lot of it's trash, but mm-hmm. they're paying attention. And the last one that he says is like recovery. And, and I think there's now a broader awareness about this, but he says like so much more needs to be done in the area of sleep. Like this is where people need to be. They need to one, make it a third of their focus, but in actuality it it should be prioritized even above the others. So I think that's, that for me was a shift, Mm -hmm. right? Cause I talked about it and I can't remember who I was talking to one of the guests, but like when I was trying to do everything, like I was eating into my sleep time to try and get other stuff done. Yeah. Cause it felt like dead wasted time. Yeah, which is ending up being detrimental to making progress. And I feel like now I'm like starting to come around to the idea like that is probably like the best possible use of my time. Mm-hmm. You Sleeping. Know? <laughs> well, you are a mother of three with an infant. I mean, like how, yeah. mu- how terrible do you feel when you don't get a good night's sleep? It's debilitating. Sleep yeah. deprivation. Yeah. It's crazy. Do you remember having a good night's sleep ever? Um, before kids. Yeah. Maybe when we were on vacation last summer, sans kids. Ah, yes. Whenever the kids are with my mom and dad, I sleep well. Yeah. Cause I'm like, they got this. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm in charge of the kids, I don't sleep well because I'm constantly checking on them. Yeah. High vigilance is what I would say. Yes. Yeah. It is hard. And who is it? I think Wendy said like that never, that's never going to get shut off. Mm-hmm. Like once you have kids, like that's, that's always on. Unfortunately. I was thinking like maybe when they're in grade school, it'll be better. Cause like, what are they really doing in grade school? Then mm. when they're in high school, I'll be freaked out again and I'll yeah. constantly be on high alert, but we'll get like a sweet spot in there. And then like when they're married, then we'll feel better too. Yeah. But like when they're high school to young adults living yeah. Probably in New York. You have to hope. And, uh, so. You have to start sleeping better for sure. Like we're, we're in like by far the worst stretch of it. Yeah. Without a doubt. I hope so. It'll get better. <laughs> I sleep fine. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. Moving on to the last one. So I, I think we're in agreement there. I love the story and the idea of aggregated marginal gains, right? I'm not going to like retell it cause he takes us through it, but yeah. you know, it's like, look, if, if whatever your goal is, if it's be a better parent, Like, you know, pay attention to all the areas of your life and see if there's little things that you can do to kind of be, you know, I don't want to use the word productive because it's easy to like overfocus on product productivity, but like just make improvements because, you know, there's literally a measurable example of, you know, a team who tried to optimize everything and as a result got tremendous results, but it wasn't like huge leaps forward. It was like washing your hands better. Yeah. Creating a better environment for you to sleep in. 
Um, I just think that's so interesting. It's really cool. And it seems a lot more feasible than totally uprooting, like Mm -hmm. completely changing one or two facets of your life. Yeah. Cause I feel like people are always, I'm in that camp always looking for where can I take like a big chunk, like a big step forward. Yeah. You know, everyone's that way. That's why like all these like fad diets and whatnot don't work out because it's too drastic. Yeah. It's, it just keeps coming back to like, it's like consistency over time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's really cool. I love that example because I, I have to imagine like when you're dealing with like the tour de France or, you know, cycling at the Olympic level, like all these countries, like I doubt their training varies that greatly. Right. So it's like, where on earth can you find an edge in a sport where like milliseconds matter? Yeah. It was just so cool that it's like, if you just make little, little improvements across like a diverse area of your life, it can have like, it, you know, it's aggregated gains. Like it all adds up. So, yeah. you know, I, I, it's really kind of relevant right now with everything that's going on with coronavirus. <laughs> you know, it's like wash your hands more effectively. Mm-hmm. If you sleep better, your immune system's going to operate better. You'll, I love that too. I don't want to touch on this, like this idea of like sleep helps create a more resilient person. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I might steal that and make that a tank top. Her bumper sticker once we start driving again. I'll tie dye it for you. Yeah. We'll make sure he doesn't hear this part of the show. Yeah. Ooh, we'll post our, uh, we did a, bit, a bunch of tie dyeing this weekend. Actually, we've got a minute here. Let's close out the show. Do you want to tell everyone about uh, the new additions to our family who joined the last week? <laughs> no, the chickens. Oh, okay. (laughs) You're like, what in the? Oh, yep. So we got some chickens. My parents have a farm about 30 minutes from us and they're currently quarantined in Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had, what, 13 chickens, 14 chickens. So they gave us five of them. And yesterday was that we cupped them inside their little coop for a week. And then yesterday was the first day that we free range them. And it was it was a real dilemma trying to get them back inside the coop. It is awesome having them around. Yeah, they're so cool. They are really cool. And they're beautiful. And we get fresh eggs every day. Yeah. They're beautiful. Like when you see when you see what an actual chicken looks like that gets to like just exist like kind of in the wild. Like they're not in the wild. But like they're they have like access to the property. You know, they're not like cooped up and caged and just yeah. like producing eggs nonstop. Um, God, they're awesome. Yeah, they're really cool. And they are hard to catch. As we learned, we had to employ the entire family. Uh, (laughs) So maybe we'll document some of that for listeners. But I think that is a completely random and great place to stop. All right. See you later. All right. Hey, guest next week, Eric Hosmer. Super cool. First baseman for the San Diego Padres. If you're on the West Coast, listen up. All right, everybody. Well, hey, stay safe out there. Uh, Hope you're enjoying the show and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.